millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're very welcome to the Mick Clifford Current Affairs Podcast. Now, we have a very unusual story for you today. Many of you, or at least some of you, will be aware that for over a year now there's been an investigation into scouting Ireland concerning allegations of sexual abuse. This came about after some revelations in the media and it developed into an inquiry with the Gardaí getting involved and initiating criminal investigations. My guest on today's podcast got a call last April to tell him that an allegation had been made against him by somebody who had been in the Scouts. This allegation dated from over 40 years ago. It concerned sexual abuse and was alleged to have happened on a scouting camp outside Cork City. This man, his name is Dermot Higgins, was told by the Gardaí that he should come into a station and make a statement about it. The only problem was that Mr Higgins was never in the Scouts. He simply could not have been on a scouting camp at which this alleged abuse occurred 40 years previously. So how could this happen? Why was he contacted in this manner by the Gardaí? Who had given his name as being a scout leader when he was never in the scouts? Was somebody out to get him? I interviewed Mr Higgins recently in Cork and I should say as well one correction to make about the interview before we begin. In the course of it I refer to an affidavit signed by a GP, Dr Caroline Murphy. Since the interview I have discovered that this document wasn't in fact an affidavit but was a report that was prepared for a solicitor. Now that's a minor point and it has no bearing on the narrative of the story but I'm just mentioning it for the sake of completeness. Okay, Listen on for this. I think you'll find it interesting, to say the very least. I started by asking Mr Higgins to relate how all this began for him on the 4th of April this year. I was working away in a house I was renovating, and at um, just past three o'clock, the phone rang. I answered it. Um, I was asked, was I Dermot Higgins? Um, With giving me my my date of birth and the school I went to. And I was just kind of working away, and I said, yeah. Sure, that's me. I said, who's this? And this is Garda so-and-so, and I'm investigating you in historical sex abuse in Scouting Ireland. You are, dear, you are Dermot Higgins, 4th of the 12th, 62. I was there saying she should be asking me my date of birth to confirm me, not giving me the date of birth. One detail there, dear, the, the phone that you were called on, was that your own personal phone? No, the phone was held in an account of another person. And if something went wrong with the phone, as invariably things do, I had to give that person to, 
got phoned to the person and they went to the phone shop to get it fixed because the phone shop would and have this, fixed it. This would have been somebody pretty close to you. Yes. Don't have to name who it is. Yes. But, but, but the point being, you were contacted by the Gardaí on a phone that was not your own phone, that was belonged to somebody close to you, however they got your number, and they put it to you. The what bill, exactly did they put to you? The bill, the bill and everything for that phone was in somebody else's name completely. And what exactly did the Garda put to you? She told me that she was investigating me for an historical sexual abuse um, claim. And I told her there that I was never in the Scouts. At the time, there was an investigation into historic sexual abuse in Scouting Ireland in general across the country. This came about as a result of a number of allegations and controversy that was generated at the time. Throughout the country. Throughout the country. Did the Garda tell you that she was calling you in relation to that investigation? Yes, historical sex abuse in Scouting Ireland. And what exactly did she say? She went on to say that, again, she was looking for me to confirm my name and said, yes, this is me, I did say that, it's me. Um, she then, I, I then told her I was never in the Scouts. She said, well, be, before that, she said I, she wanted me to come in to make a statement the, uh, on the following day and I was going to I was going to have to come in and make a statement I told her I was going to make no statement without contacting my solicitor she then said oh you're getting a solicitor as if it was kind of a shock or surprise that I should look for a solicitor what do you want that for if you were never in the scouts I said to her I said if this was your brother partner father got this telephone call would you tell them to go to their solicitor and not to do anything until they'd seen their solicitor. The response was a kind of a flippant, I probably would, yeah. Okay, and did, were you given any details about this allegation? I was given absolutely no details about this allegation. I told her I'd be contacting my solicitor. She gave me a phone number to phone. I asked her where she got that number for, and she told me that was none of my business. Where she got my phone number you, from. You asked where did she get the number of the phone that wasn't even in your name? Yes. Where did she get this number from? Because I knew the phone wasn't in my name. And I was told, kind of quite casually, that's none of my business. Okay, so what did you do? That obviously came as quite a shock. I, I contacted my solicitor. Um, I contacted her office. And in fairness, she, I gave her the number and I told what happened. And she contacted this Garda so and so. Um, within days, they managed to reconnect with each other within days. And this Garda told my solicitor in that she was investigating me. A complaint had been made directly about me from this detect- to this detective and that I was a troop leader in Scouting Ireland, belonging to the Castle Street branch, and they're, they're the exact words of the Garda, the Castle Street branch. Castle Street is a street in the centre of Cork. Castle Street is a centre, in the, it's in the middle parish of Cork. So, it was, the offence was up in a Kilcully camp. Where's Kilcully exactly? Kilcully, I found out, is north of the city. I found that out later. It's north of the city. And I, I did my did a little bit of investigating afterwards, and it was a scout camp and used for jamborees and scouting occasions and scouting events. So it was there. 
So the offence was that I, as scout leader, initiated and made the other boys in the in the troop um, put this complainant on his hands and knees and and stuck our fingers and made the others stick their fingers up his back passage. And that was the complaint. And this happened in 1978. And they were specific about the year, about the, 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 the scout troop and about locations. Yes, it was Castle Street. It was the Castle Street branch. They were her words. I was a troop leader and it was I initiated these things against this individual who has supposedly made a complaint. Were you ever in the scouts? I was never in the scouts in my life. I don't think I have ever even been in a scout hall in my life. I was in a lot of things. I was never, I was played a lot of sports, did a lot of things. I was never in the scouts in 1978. I lived in a different part of the city completely. Right, I mean, I suppose it's relevant to the point you're never in the scouts. That immediately uh, brings the whole thing into a different realm altogether. You, quite obviously, you know, this is a massive shock, but you went away and did a bit of investigation in terms of the detail that your solicitor was provided with. I, I did indeed. I looked up the Castle Street branch. I, there is a scout museum out in Toker, the Walter McGrath Hall, which is most illuminating, a very interesting place. There's the research library upstairs in the city library, which is a fantastic facility, a kind of an unknown facility in the city. Uh, I also approached... Um, a long-term trader on Castle Street and he was most forthcoming with information I had to look for the information in, in a kind of a subterfuge way saying that I was doing research on a, a neighbouring building and was, was there any interest in things like this and I, I asked him was this building used for any purposes and I had a list of building for, a list of things like theatre judo choirs and I just had in the middle of it scouting and no it wasn't so was there a Castle Street branch in the scouting no so we have a possible scenario that mistakenly a guard contacted you on the basis you were someone else notwithstanding that it must have felt horrendous that you were this allegation was put to you about scouting Ireland and you had never been in the scouts I had never been in the Scouts. I had nothing to do with the Scouts. Um, my solicitor at the time made an extremely stern letter to this detective saying how I was never in the Scouts, how I would facilitate any questions they had to answer and do anything to help any investigations in the state. It was a quite a stern letter, just again stating again and again I was never in the Scouts, I was never a troop leader. Being a troop leader would imply that I was in the Scouts for a good few years and there would be records and things there of me. There is no records of me ever being in the Scouts. Right, so we have a scenario now whereby you get a phone call, come in and make a statement, there's an allegation, we want to see what you have to say about it. Your solicitor writes in response, pointing out you were never in the Scouts, was there any further contact from the Gardaí after that? Absolutely nothing. And then the next thing you hear is your solicitor gets a phone call in September. That was on the 4th of April, the initial contact. Your solicitor gets a phone call in September. This was the next contact. And what did that phone call convey? A Garda phoned up just to say that the detective Garda handling it was on leave. And the file had come back from the DPP 
and no charges were going to come against your client. So we know of a scenario whereby in April you're contacted toward there's an allegation against you that you, sh- you must come in and make a statement. You point out that um, you were never in the scouts. Through my solicitor. Your solicitor makes contact with them. There's no further correspondence. There's no longer an urgency for you to make a statement. Thereafter, you do your own investigation on the basis of the bones of this allegation and find out there is an awful lot that is not as per the allegation. You try to make contact with the Gardaí, again, particularly the Gardaí was investigating. They don't want to meet you. And finally, you, through your solicitor again, get contacted by the Gardaí to say the file went to the DPP and the DPP had decided no prosecution. How could a file be sent to the DPP about you when you weren't even, not to mind, not having given a statement, you weren't even formally asked to give a statement. And that's besides, as you point out yourself, the other quite obvious shortcomings in, in this allegation. The only time I was asked to give a statement, sorry, told to come in and make a statement, was answering a phone from somebody whom I didn't know from on a Thursday afternoon. I there answer the phone and I have somebody demanding me to make a statement, telling me that they're a guard. Now, I've worked in sites for a long time and there's always jokes and leg pulling and we all answer each other's phones and there's a bit of crack and is that you, Mary, when you know damn well the wife is Colette? And it's all a bit of banter and it gets a fella into grief. And it, it, like I was very lucky my phone wasn't picked up by somebody else. Extremely lucky. Right, and that is all the subject now of a complaint to the Garda Ombudsman, which is, is currently being investigated. People would find, Dermot, that really shocking, what you have just described. But it should now also be pointed out that in the context of there is a history as such between yourself and the Gardaí and one that goes back over 20 years in this respect. Would you tell us how all this started? This started 22 years ago. Um, I went home and... My late mother said, sit down. She said, I have some bad news. What age were you at the time? I was 35, 36. Single, had a great life. Fantastic life, involved in everything. All sports, various sports, activities, friends, everything. And had led a life throughout my school. Absolutely loved it, having a ball. I was told to sit down. It involved a three-year-old from my extended family. Um, My initial reaction was, oh no, this child is ill and sick because my architect at the time had a child who was very sick at the time and I knew how traumatic that was and it was horrible for them and I, I often think of them to this day. A family member has accused you of abusing this family member. This three-year-old? This three-year-old. Just three-year-old. Three-year-old by a couple of weeks. I was... First of all, I was... I I had kind of relief. I was like, the child is sick, that's great. You know? And it dawned on me what, what had been said. 
and I, I was I was just blown away. I, I I had never ever looked after this child. I had never babysat this child. I had no nobody ever asked me to sorry, one person did ask me before and I said no. Um I've no experience with children. I, I wouldn't I've never changed a nappy in my life. I, I just wouldn't I wouldn't have a clue if the child was coughing or something. I think the child would be dying. I'd be terrified. Because I, I have been the youngest in my extended family, I would have had no interaction with children at all. No, horrendous thing. You, you, there's a suggestion of an allegation. It's within a family setting. Um, your interaction then with the health service and the Gardaí as a result of that. How was that interaction? I went to my doctor that night and I was in I was in bits absolutely in bits and she said she'd you know she'd do what she could and she would contact the sexual assault unit in the a, a hospital close by that was that dealt with these things I don't know should I name the place probably not um, so she did contact them and a caseworker did answer the phone and did come on the phone and she said to my doctor, she just laid things out to my doctor in horrific way. She just started going on about me personally and my personal life, totally at odds with my life. Um, things. I was a loner, I was in bed all day. I was the ideal candidate and would I come in and make a man of myself for the first time of my life. I had a history of abuse. I was a chronic heavy drinker and I was still living at home with my mother and I was the ideal candidate. Now, your doctor, and we've seen it, um, signed an affidavit to that effect of her conversation with the health worker in this regard. Yes, indeed, and... She was horrified and she was distraught that these things could be said over the phone. One of her main concerns was that this this care worker came on the phone, did not phone back my doctor to confirm who she was. My doctor could have been anyone. And she was extremely worried about that. And the other worried that her absolute bias and jaundice against her patient. And your doctor obviously would have had some knowledge of your life and it would appear that she felt that the characterisation of you by the health worker was completely at odds with the person she knew. Yes, my doctor had been a, a sister of a school friend of mine and also she was my doctor for the, for the previous and had known me in a medical for the previous 12 years through sports and sporting activities. Okay, so one interpretation of that is that the health worker was extremely prejudiced against you. That presumably could only have come about if it was she was prejudiced against you as a result of conversations with other people, and that is what you would uh, presume on the basis of your experience. There, there are other possibilities, but going along with that one, that was your interaction with the health worker. How was your interaction with the Gardaí at the time? Well, just getting back to the health worker, there was letters sent to, the, to that department from 
my solicitor at the time, saying that these things had been said over the phone and there was an absolute denial that these things were said and could never be said. And would not be said. So we have a scenario whereby your doctor signed an affidavit to the effect that these things were said to her by the care worker and subsequent to that your solicitor writes and is told that the care worker did not say these things and that she couldn't have said them. Yes, in, in that time frame in 1997 there was an absolute object denial and how dare we say things like that against their care workers. So we know a scenario whereby your doctor signed an affidavit to the effect of this conversation in which your doctor said the care worker was extremely prejudiced against you, she characterised you in a way that was completely alien to the doctor and your doctor was also very concerned that this was that you were spoken about in this manner on the phone without the care worker even formally identifying your doctor as your doctor. Your solicitor wrote to the HSE as a result of that. What was the outcome of that correspondence? There was a denial of anything happening and they wouldn't, couldn't or ever say anything like that and it was not their position to make allegations against anybody and that was it. Go away. So quite obviously, somebody's not telling the truth. There would be no reason in the world, presumably, for your doctor to sign an affidavit to that effect unless not only did she believe this is what she heard, but she was quite taken aback by the content of the conversation. Absolutely. My doctor would be a very mild-mannered person and would not get involved in something like this unless she was extremely upset and distressed by it. OK, and then we move on to the Gardaí and your interaction with the Gardaí at that time. I was arrested. Um, four days after getting the letter back from the health board, the head of the health board, saying that they would not make any allegations and could not make any allegations and... They take any allegations like that extremely serious. I, there was a knock on my door at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning and I was taken away in handcuffs by three Gardaí. As a result of this allegation? As a result of this allegation. Okay, and you were interviewed, presumably? I was taken to the Garda barracks. On the way to the barracks, there was going on about my solicitor and bitches like that, they're only after your money and they're only after your, you know, they're not there to look after you and they look after me, admit everything now and they'll all look after me and everything will be fine. Just admit it now. And what was put you in the interview? We went to the guard station first and at the public desk, there was other people in the public there and I was introduced as, this is the kitty fiddler when I was being signed into the station and it is to see your name go down on a piece of on a state piece of paper and child abuse after it is fairly harrowing. In in the interview, it started off mildly enough, admit it, um, we look after you, it's only a small thing, there's there's no evidence of any molestation, there's no there's no physical evidence, it's only a bit of kitty fiddling. The words kitty fiddle come through the, everything. At no stage in the almost 12 hours in the Scarda station was I told exactly what I was meant to have done. It was kiddie fiddling and a bit of horsing around that got, that, that overreached. There was no specific allegation of specific alleged abuse put to you? Absolutely nothing. 
Now, what was put to me was almost verbatim what the social worker had said to my doctor over the phone, saying how I was a loner, I had no friends, I was a chronic drinker, wasn't I a mammy's boy, and it just went on and on and on and on and on. What was the ultimate outcome of the investigation? There was no charges at all pressed to me. It came back from the DPP with nothing to answer for. Um, not once in that whole interview was I actually asked a question about... I was told a specific date. I was told I would remember this date for the rest of your life. Because on this date, the charges will be that you did on this date. And what this infant said to its mother on this particular date, it was horrific. Now, the only thing is, nobody asked me where I was on that date. And nobody asked the person looking after the child where, in fact, she was on that date. The date was the particular day this person did look after the child. So that was a seven to one chance coming home that it was it wasn't just a date made up. Because this person looked after the child once a week. Once a week. The person looked after the child was never asked about where they were on that date. They were, the person was told that they were safe now and they could um, they could tell on me and say that I you know I didn't that she didn't have to be guarding me or shielding me anymore. She was quite safe, uh, which was news to my uh, news to this individual. but nobody asked the date. Okay, so we have a scenario whereby from your perspective, Apart from what sounds like a harrowing interview, um, there was very little investigation done. And also, that despite what seems like a very intense and harrowing interview, specifics were not put to you in that interview. The outcome of all of that was a file was sent to the EPP and was returned and said, no prosecution. Yes, there was no specifics mentioned at all, just kiddie fiddling and a bit of horseplay gone wrong. It was said to me a few times that there was no physical evidence of the child having been abused. And it was just... And just as a reminder, David, we're talking about a child who was just three years of age. Just well, It would have been within days of their third birthday when these events would have happened. Um... The child's birthday was one month and this was within weeks of that date. Quite obviously, a harrowing episode in your life. Did, did you... It took seven months. I was waiting seven months. So between me initially being told by the person who looked after the child about that the issue was there to actually getting things back from the DPP was the guts of 12 months of my life at a, at a very crucial part of my life, my middle 30s. Right, um... And did you make a complaint against the Gardaí? I did make a complaint against the Gardaí. Um, we have looked for my records since, and we got my records back from Gardaí. There is no record of me having made the complaint, even though I made the complaint at a specific barracks, and I made a, the complaint to a specific guard. And this complaint would have been dealt with by the old Garda Complaints Board prior to the establishment of the Ombudsman, the Garda Ombudsman? I would have hoped it would have gone to that. I made the complaint in my local Garda station and I heard no more about it, except 
within a short period of time of that complaint, I received a phone call at home saying, would I come in for a chat? I said, I realised that there was an investigation going on to a school and I knew other people who had been asked, I thought this was in relation to that, they were going through a class and you know, asking questions, which I had no problem with, absolutely none. About I, what? I, went in, I, I didn't know until I went in the station. I was told, you're going to give a blood sample for the rape of a young girl in an area of Cork City. And no. I told them, why? Why, why me? And I was told, this will keep you quiet. This will quieten you. A little fucking kitty fiddler like you. Throughout this, from 1997 to this day, the words kitty fiddler have been used against me by numerous members. It seems to be the, the kind of mantra, the word, the, the, to, the little ditty that fits all. So just putting a bit of context in this statement, we have a scenario whereby there's this allegation against you, quite obviously that would be kept on record, on pulse, on the pulse system that was around at the time. We also, by your account, by then you had lodged a complaint against the Gardaí and um, I think it's fair to say that certainly in some state agencies that leaves somebody uh, marked out in terms of if they're making a complaint. Then a situation arises that there is a sexual assault on a young woman in the city. Um, I've looked up some of the um, material from the time and it, it, it fits in with your description in terms of there being a sexual assault. There was also um, a list of suspects and to the best of my knowledge, you were in your late 30s at this time. The suspects were, I believe, to be teenagers quite possibly. Yes, in in all the Garda press statements at the time, which I've which I have looked up again, I've gone to the library and looked all these things up. It was somebody in their late teens, scruffy, um, known in the area, locals to the area. Uh, this was constantly. This is over weeks. This is the the regular update of this. And just to clarify, the part of the city that this assault occurred in, uh, did you live near there? No. It was the other side of the city completely. Um, it is quite harrowing to see a headline on the paper that 10 known people of interest have voluntarily given blood samples in this horrific crime. And the blood samples have gone to the UK and they should be back soon. A, I did not give it voluntarily. I was told by the Garda, if I didn't give it, if I didn't give it they would go to the people I said I was with at the time and they would tell them that they were interviewing them about me about the horrific crime against this poor young girl. Okay, and again, just put a small bit of it context. It was a threat. A small bit of context in this. The only reason it would appear from your account that you were called in to give a blood sample in relation to this crime that occurred a, a fair bit away from where you would even find yourself in the city, was on the basis that a few years previously there had been an allegation against you in relation to somebody involving your extended family which had been ultimately dismissed. Was there anything else apart from that 
that would have give, given reason to the Gardaí to ask you in for a blood sample in relation to this horrific crime? Absolutely not. I was way outside the profile. I knew exactly where I was at the, at the time of when that event took place. And here I, I, I have to say that this young girl is still alive today and should not have this thing dragged up and should not have detectives going around the place on little personal vendettas to keep somebody quiet when they should be trying to find out the perpetrators of the crime. And I, I'm hugely confident of, of the fact that that girl is alive today and if she's hearing these interviews that these are not, do you know, bring huge distressful things to her again. But I have to fight my corner and I have to, it's not my fault. Yeah, and I think ultimately a suspect was identified, somebody who had actually left the jurisdiction and who um, may have been known to the victim of this crime. Were you or your solicitor ever contacted subsequent to giving that blood sample in, any, in relation to any aspect of this investigation? No, we were just told that they would be in contact with us again. The investigating officer had retired and he would be in contact with us within weeks. We're still waiting. No, no, nothing since. Okay, and I suppose I should point out there is documentary evidence and I've seen it in relation to those inquiries. Do you see any recourse to what you would consider justice? An apology would be a start. And in fairness to the particular centre that handled this back in 97, the people who are heading it now have met me. And I, I believe they have taken my concerns very seriously. And I'm hoping, and I believe, I still believe in people, believe it or not, I still actually believe. In some parts, excuse me, I'm getting a little bit emotional, but there are people I believe out there still. And you live in hope, and it has been hard. It has been very, very hard, because there is a blankness and a blackness comes over you. You are... I haven't gone to a public toilet in 22 years in this country without seeing an adult go in the door first. I am terrified of computers in case something comes through because I am wide open. I will not stay in a house if there's children staying in the house. I have seen people close to me remove their children from there. And I, I can fully understand them. They, like, they're horrified they're doing it. But I can understand why they do it and I do not hold one thing against them. In terms of your interaction with the Gardaí, did you ever informally approach any member of the Gardaí and ask, what's the story here? Why, why does my name pop up or anything of that nature? I have. I have approached. I also approached my TD, who was the data protection officer. He was able to get information from me and tell me that I would never get Garda vetting. I asked him where and how. Did he get who gave him the information? Oh, I couldn't tell you that. So he can go off and find out information about me. I can't. I still don't know where my blood sample is. I think I think there isn't a person in the state who wouldn't like to know where their blood sample is. Now that we're sharing soft information throughout the world, according to the, the then Minister for Children's uh, Fitzgerald, Minister Fitzgerald, that we are sharing as you put it, soft information. Uh, 
I presume I'm soft information to various jurisdictions around the world. That is America, Europe, Australia. I would dread now going to America. But all of this is on the basis, the, the, the only concrete basis for any allegation against you was in relation to this three-year-old member of your extended family in 1997, 1997. which was ultimately dismissed. And as you say, the circumstances involved in the allegation could have been shown to not to have ensured that it wasn't possible that there was any substance to that allegation. With any, any bit of investigation, instead of concentrating on the ranting and the raving and the screaming and roaring and the threats to me, instead of spending the 12 hours, four Gardaí for 12 hours on a Saturday, going out, asking around, do you know this individual? Yeah, I oh, he's involved. So, and go through the list, a loner, no. Chronic heavy drinker. Did I like a few pints? Absolutely. I was in my middle thirties. Nothing better. I like going out to a match and having a good lash of pints. Getting up in the morning, going to a match and things like that, and enjoying my life. Absolutely, it was a social thing, and I, I don't do it anymore. But I can't. <laughs> but it, it was quite normal. I was not out. There was nobody waiting for me at home. I had no family at home. I thoroughly enjoyed my life. Travelled the world, sporting occasions. I've been at World Cup finals. I've been at European Championship finals. I've been in Hampden Stadium with Mark Lawrence and getting the goal. I have been 50 feet away from Nelson Mandela in the World Cup final against South Africa and New Zealand. I have sold donuts for Algerians on a beach in the south of France. And everything in between. And currently you have two um, inquiries looking into your case. One is uh, in relation to Tusla. Now Tusla was not around in 1997, but you were having an investigation into the circumstances around that. And also you have a, a complaint into the Garda Ombudsman Commission, which is examining your complaint in relation to the Scouting Ireland allegation. And all I can say is about the... Investigating officers, they have been nothing but professional. All they want to deal with is the hard facts and copy that I was able to give them. Records of my phone calls, my attempts to find to, to find information, the letters sent. That's what they're interested in. They're interested in getting to the end of this. David Higgins, thank you very much for talking to us. That's the story. I think you'll agree there are disturbing elements to it. There are a number of questions in there for various state agencies. I should say that there may well be reasonable answers for those questions that Dermot Higgins has about what has befallen him, but he certainly hasn't been given any of those answers and you'd have to wonder at this stage whether he ever will. The two inquiries by GSOC and Tuslet may throw further light in the situation, but we'll just have to wait and see. Okay, that's it for this week. I'd like to thank JJ Vernon on Sound. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify and you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on Twitter at at mickcliff. See you again next week. <laughs>